Good morning. We are glad you're here today. Thank you for coming. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back. Very grateful to those of you that are visiting with us this morning. We hope and pray that the time that we spend together will benefit you as we worship God in spirit and truth. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we would love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We want to encourage you to consider joining hands with us. I'm going to be looking today at a passage of Scripture that we looked at last week. We really introduced our lesson. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The passage read a moment ago, Hebrews chapter 4, at verse 12, where the writer acknowledged that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It serves to critique the hearts and lives of people. In our lesson last week, we asked the question, would it be possible to preach the gospel and leave everyone alone? I really understand that there are many, many people in the world today that would certainly choose not to hear some of the more cutting things set forth in the gospel of Christ. You remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul charged Timothy to preach the word, he said that the time would come when men would not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own lust would heap to themselves teachers. They would have, as he said, itching ears. They would turn aside unto fables rather than the truth of Almighty God. Those of us who preach... We are under divine obligation to preach the Word, nothing more and nothing less. My goal is to preach the whole counsel of God as Paul did, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 20 at verse 27. I want to be free from the blood of all men as Paul was in Acts chapter 20 verse 26. So I ask today, can you preach the gospel and leave everyone alone? Let's just test that thought. I would imagine that all of us would agree that the Bible speaks in a very clear and concise way about the nature of Almighty God. As a matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible begins by saying, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was God who said, Let there be light, verse 3, chapter 1. It was the Godhead that said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows His handiwork. In Psalm 33, the psalmist said many years ago, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He spoke and it was done. He commanded it stood fast. Are you saying then that the great first cause, Almighty God, was responsible for bringing this earth into existence? That the human family is the product of an almighty, all-wise, all-powerful God? It's exactly what I'm saying. When the Apostle Paul spent time in Athens... You remember one of the problems in the city of Athens was idolatry. 
Matter of fact, they had an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And Paul said, Him you ignorantly worship. Based upon the evidence before him, Paul preached the nature of the one true God. Now, when we preach about God, the Father, there are folks in the world today that would have difficulty with that, wouldn't they? The scientific community, for one, that espouses the idea that we are the products of evolution, that the world that we live in today is the product of some type of cataclysmic explosion. And what they would say is, you mean to tell me that there was a God that created the heavens and the earth and the human family? That's exactly what I'm saying. Can I prove that? You better believe it. Well, how so? Because, as the Hebrew writer said, every house is built by some men, but he that built all things is God. The world that we live in is evidence of a designer, of an almighty God. When I preach and teach about God the Father, and Paul said in Ephesians 4 verse 6, there is one God and Father who is above all, over all, and in you all. When I preach that, I automatically set myself at variance with those who subscribe to the theory of evolution. I automatically put myself at variance with those who are atheistic and agnostic. The atheist says there is no God. The agnostic says, how can I know there's a God? And yet the Bible says, in the beginning, God. The first cause of creation. David said many years ago, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I can't preach God and not offend some people. Well, what about Jesus Christ? Surely we can find some common ground there. I mean, after all, the Bible talks about the second member of the Godhead. Wasn't it John who said in the long ago, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God? Yes. Does the Bible not tell us that Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, came to earth, robed in human flesh, and died for the sins of mankind? Yes. So you're telling me that I've got to come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He was a good man, esteemed teacher, concerned about the plight of those who were downtrodden, sought to elevate individuals who were facing social injustices in his day, did a great deal to liberate those who were caught up in the slavery of sin. But you're telling me that I've got to come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or I'll die in sin exactly what I'm saying. Don't take my word for it. No, Jesus said, except you believe that I am. That is, unless you come to believe that I am the eternal, self-existent one. He said, you'll die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. When the Lord asked His disciples in Caesarea Philippi about His identity, you remember He wanted to know, what are people saying about me? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, some 
Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, but then he wanted to know, okay, what do you think? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John chapter 6, when Jesus identified himself as that living bread that came down from heaven. You remember the Bible says that many of those people on that occasion went back, walked no more with him. Why? They were offended at what he said. Are there people today that would take offense to the preaching of Jesus as the Son of God? You better believe it. There's a religious group that is translated in their Bible, Jesus as a God, not God, but a God. Jesus was not, is not a created being. And unless people come to understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they will die in sin. Now wait a minute. You're telling me that Jesus Christ was the Messiah of the long ago? When I preach Jesus as the Son of God, I automatically set myself at variance with the Jews of today. Why? They don't believe in the Messiah. They don't believe He's come. And then there are a whole host of people in the world today that quite frankly do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Can I preach the gospel as it relates to God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and not offend people? Look, my intent is never to offend anybody. I've said it many times before, my goal is not to hurt anyone. I'm trying to help people. But in the preaching and teaching of divine truth, there are some people that will not like the truth of God. They will reject it. Nothing I can do about that. My job is to preach the Word when people like it and when they don't like it. I'm not going to concede divine truth. I'm not going to compromise divine truth. I'm not going to do so whether it be my family members or members of the body of Christ or those in the world. Not happening on my watch. Well, what about salvation? What if I teach that salvation is in Jesus Christ? Well, it's pretty narrow-minded, isn't it? You mean to tell me that if I'm going to be saved, I've got to be saved in Jesus? That He is the Savior of the world? That's what the Bible says. Didn't the angel say to Joseph in the long ago that Mary would bring forth a son, His name would be called Jesus, and He would save His people from their sins? So you're saying that if I'm not in Christ, I'm lost. That's exactly right. Well, I find that offensive. I'd rather not hear that message. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you want to enjoy a relationship with the Father, it only is possible through Jesus the Son. Paul said, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So you're telling me that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save me from sin. That's exactly right. That sure is narrow-minded. Am I being too hard-hearted, too unbending if I simply teach and preach what the Bible says? No, Paul said preach the Word. 
Now listen, salvation is in Christ, and there is only one way to get into Christ. Now think about what the Bible has to say. Let me just expand this thought for a moment. Since we're talking about Jesus, you know, Jesus promised to build the church. Look at all these churches out here engaged in benevolent activities, trying to elevate the lives of people. Think about all the various churches in the world today that are trying to preach and teach Jesus. Well, Jesus said, I'll build my church. Well, what was that, Lord? I'll build my church. How many churches? One? Well, who, who, when we talk about the church, to whom does it belong? It belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? Didn't Paul say in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, that Jesus purchased the church with His blood? Now Jesus established the church. He built it, He bought it, it belongs to Him. Well, what about all these other churches out here? I mean, surely they're doing some good. You mean to tell me that all these denominational bodies that are around the world today, are you trying to tell me that they are wrong? That's exactly right. So when I preach the truth of God, I automatically set myself in opposition to the denominational world. Because they do not teach nor do they believe in the one church, the one body. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a body made by mankind. That's just the truth of the gospel. So you're telling me there's only one church and that one church is where the saved are. Well, Paul said, there is one body and one spirit even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. If there's one body and one church, that means the saved are only in the one body, the church. Well, what about all these good people in the world today? That in their heart of hearts have made great sacrifices. Been on distant shores preaching and teaching. Engaging in benevolent activities. What about them? Jesus said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name cast out demons. In your name done many mighty works. And Jesus said, he'll say to them on the final day, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Listen to him. I never knew you. You want to be saved? You better follow the teaching of the Bible. Salvation is where? It's in Christ. Not only is salvation in Christ, it is in the church of Christ. That is, salvation is in the church that was bought by Jesus, built by Jesus, belongs to Jesus. Anyone outside that spiritual realm is among the lost. Can't make it any plainer. Am I trying to be ugly or hurtful? No. But look, my job is to preach the Word. 
I've got to preach it when people like it and when they don't like it. That's what Paul said. I'm not to concede truth no matter what. You see, one day I'm going to stand before God. And the Lord's going to hold me accountable for every single syllable that I utter from this pulpit. Everything that I've taught, I'm responsible for. And so I'm not willing to leave this world without preaching the Word. Now salvation is in Christ. Now I know that there are a lot of folks in the world today, they have the idea that you become a Christian by reciting what they call the sinner's prayer. Here's my question. Where do you find that in the Bible? Where can I read about the sinner's prayer in the Scriptures? I mean, surely it's here. Everybody quotes it, don't they? When I turn on the television and watch denominational preachers, their jargon is always, accept the Lord into your heart by faith, and then say this prayer, and you're a child of God. True or false? Let me tell you what Peter said. On Pentecost Day, when they were convicted of sin, and they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Did Peter say, everybody bow your heads, say this prayer after me, and you'll become a child of God? Is that what Peter said? So if that's not what Peter said, what gives anyone the right to legislate terms not found in the Word of God? Let me tell you what, we have been too soft on sin in our brotherhood. We've been too soft on the denominational world. Because we've got folks today that believe there are Christians in denominations. That is not true. I don't say that to be ugly. It's just a fact. There is not a single person among the saved outside the church that Jesus bought with His divine blood. So on Pentecost Day, when they wanted to know, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Wait a minute. You're telling me I've got to be baptized into Christ to go to heaven? Well, I thought baptism was an outward sign of an inward faith. I thought you're saved first and then you're baptized. It's not what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you what. When I preach and teach what the Bible says, I am automatically at variance with the denominational world. Well, why? Because what they teach and practice is not in this book. Can I preach the gospel and leave everyone alone? You know, if I don't preach the truth of God, well, people are lost and they will continue to be lost. Truth saves, doesn't it? Didn't Solomon say, buy the truth and sell it not? Didn't Jesus say, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free? Truth convicts. But if we don't preach the gospel of Christ in its entirety, how in the world are people going to be convicted of sin? There was a day and time when people would listen to the preaching and teaching of the gospel. 
And there are many, many people in days gone by that when they heard the purity of the gospel, they became angry, mad. And they said, you know what, I'm going to prove that preacher wrong. But you know what happened? After searching the scriptures, they came to the realization that what they believed and what they had been practicing was a lie. That it wasn't truth. Now you think about our world today. There are folks in the world today that say, well, you know, there's no such thing as absolute truth. You believe what you want to believe, I believe what I want to believe, we'll all be in good company. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. Is that what the Bible teaches? No, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. When the early church began, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says that those saints continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, there are people today that dismiss the importance of doctrine. I mean, we don't need to get too heavy on doctrine. Well, doctrine's teaching. And listen, if you don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, John said, you do not have fellowship with Almighty God. Is doctrine important? Yes. Can I be saved if I submit to false doctrine? No. So what saves? Truth does. Did you know that the greatest ally the devil has is a closed Bible? Did you know that there are many, many people that are basing their salvation on what they heard from their pastor? Let me tell you what. If people want to be saved, they're going to be saved because they submit to divine truth. Nothing more and nothing less. So when I preach baptism for the remission of sins, there are a whole lot of people in the the denominational world that do not like it. And if you don't believe me, just listen to the radio. And listen to them denigrate the importance of New Testament baptism. But they can't change what Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus placed belief and baptism before salvation. Who am I to change the terms of admission into the kingdom of God. I know what people are thinking in the world today. In our world today, we've come to the point where we just accept any and everything. And quite frankly, there are some within the church, they'd just not soon hear the gospel in its purity, clarity. They'd rather you be soft. You know, don't don't come down too hard on sin. I mean, ease up on people. Listen, I'm not going to meet my God without having told people what the Bible teaches. I'm going to stand before God. And I want people to know that salvation is in Christ exclusively. It is in the church of Christ. And when I use that expression, I mean the church that belongs to Christ. That unless people are in that church, they're lost. The consequences of sin are enormous. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. How many people today really like hearing when we talk about preaching the gospel? How many folks like to hear about hell? Really rather you not talk about that. I mean, 
Leave that out of the gospel message. Did you know that Jesus had more to say about the subject of hell than any other person recorded in the New Testament? Jesus said, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Hebrew writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Do you know what he was saying? The writer was simply acknowledging the fact that it is a thing fearful beyond belief to die unprepared to meet God. You remember in Matthew 23 when Jesus, in a very scathing manner, talked about the scribes and the Pharisees? He equated them to a brood of vipers. And he asked this question, How shall you escape the judgment of hell? Gehenna. Now look, there are folks today, they don't want to hear about hell, but I'm here to tell you what. There's some folks who need to think about it. There are some people in the church of Christ need to think about hell. Why? Because that's exactly where they're headed if they don't get their lives right. Now those who've never obeyed the gospel, they're lost. But if you're not living a faithful, Christ-centered life, I can tell you this, you are on the road to perdition. You see, when I preach on hell, the annihilationist doesn't like it. And there are a whole lot of people in the religious world, they'd just soon you not talk about hell. It's a Bible subject, isn't it? Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why? There's a judgment to come. Well, what about you? You ready for the judgment? What about preaching about moral standards? I mean, surely we would all agree that there's a moral standard, a moral code that we're to live by. I mean, didn't Paul say the grace of God's appeared, bringing salvation to every man? Teaching us, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? Are you telling me then that as a child of God, I'm to live a life that is righteous, holy, that I'm not to be conformed to the world. Let me tell you what, if the world can't see Christ in you, something is amiss. Christ in you. What about your speech? Do you use profanity? Use bad language? Tell dirty jokes? What about how you dress? You dress like a New Testament Christian or you dress like somebody in the world? How you act? What do you do for fun, recreation? You drinking? You smoking? Use recreational drugs? Let me tell you what, if you're doing that, Please do not misunderstand me. If you're doing that, my friend, you are lost. Just as sure as I'm standing here, you're lost. We're not to bend the Word of God to fit our lifestyle, but rather we are to bend our lives in the direction of God's Son. 
The problem with the world today is they want to alter the Word to fit their lifestyle. And yet the Bible teaches that we are to alter our lives to fit the teaching of the Bible. So when people look at you, whether it's on the job, the community, when you're engaging in your hobbies, when you're talking with your neighbors, do they see Christ in you? Or do they see somebody who just worldly to the core? Listen, you can't preach the gospel and leave everyone alone. When I open God's Word, I automatically set myself in opposition to many, many people. Some like it, some don't. I can't worry about people that do not like the truth. I can't worry about people that don't want to hear the truth. I want you to listen very carefully. If you don't like the truth of Almighty God, if you don't like listening to the pure, unadulterated truth of Almighty God, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. Because truth and truth alone will save. So if that's not what you want to hear, then let me just tell you, I'm not changing. I'm not backing up. I'm not going to back down. Now I might move on, but wherever I go, I'm going to preach the Word. I'm going to preach it whether people like it or don't. If you don't like it, You put yourself in a tough position. You see, truth separates. Separates the wheat from the chaff. If you don't love the truth of Almighty God, you're not in the right place. And if you're not willing to conform your life to the teaching of the Bible, then let me just encourage you, go out and live like the world. Enjoy yourself, live it up, because you're not going to heaven. Go big or go home. If you're going to be lost, then live like the devil. Act like the devil. Walk with the devil. You'll spend eternity with the devil. What a hard lesson. But I think sometimes we need to understand God's Word cannot be compromised. My job is to preach the Word. I'm not saying I'm anything special because I'm not. I'm just trying to be the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. But I just want everybody to know up front, the pulpit here not for sale as long as I'm standing in it. Now if the elders decide to make a change, then that's their prerogative. And I will quietly walk away and pray for the church here. But I am not backing down from the truth of Almighty God. I don't care. I don't care if people don't like it. I'm not changing. 
We have been far too soft in our brotherhood. We have about two generations of people that, quite frankly, do not know what the Bible teaches. They don't understand about the one church, completely oblivious to our worship, don't understand why we don't use mechanical instruments of music, don't understand what it means to be a faithful child of God. Yes, quite. How's that? How's that the case? Because I can see it in their lifestyle. I can see it not only what they do, but what they say. So my encouragement to you today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, come to Christ. For 2,000 years, the entrance into the kingdom of God is by being born again. Born of the water and the Spirit. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, my encouragement to you today is to be baptized into Christ. Let the Lord wash your sins away. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Be faithful until death. And the crown of life will be yours one day. Won't you come as we stand and sing?